Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. We are so thankful for you as our listening friends, and Walt and I want to welcome you today. As we return in our study to the book of Esther, we're getting close to the end of this particular book, but Walt and I have just been kind of shaking our heads just even today and saying, you know, for all the times in the past that we've studied this book, it probably has never been quite as um, poignant as this particular time working through these chapters and verses. Yeah, and, and, and Brenda, we were talking about, you know, a number of months ago, we said, let's do the book of Esther, not knowing what would be going on historically right now. And, and it just seems like Esther is being replayed right in front of our eyes. Yeah, and and we're, we're going to see that today again as we um, jump into chapter 9. But as we have stated, the book of Esther is filled with so many twists and turns. We've got rulers that have great power, but we also then have wicked people who are in power, very evil. And, and we stop and we say, where is God in all of this? Where, where is his presence? And we know his name is not even mentioned in this book, which seems significant to us. And yet, as we have stated, and we want to continue to say this, God's fingerprints are are there. Yeah, and, and, and we wonder, has, has God forgotten the Jewish people that are spread throughout these 127 provinces in the Persian kingdom? I mean, this is an area almost the size of the United States of America. It's, it's this huge area, and Jews have been scattered throughout this region. What's going on? Is God going to watch over them, even as they've been spread throughout uh, the, the first the Babylonian and now the, the, the Medo-Persian kingdom? Kingdom. Is God still there? Does He still carry it about His people? Yeah, and you know, well, I—it's just popping into my mind right now. But I have a head to heart right here as as we're just doing our introduction for today. A head to heart when we feel like God isn't there. You know, we all have situations, we have circumstances in our life, and and we wonder, does he see my tears? Does he hear my cries? Does he understand the pit that I'm sitting in right now? But he is there, and we need to look always. We need to be alert at all times for the hand of a sovereign, powerful God, because in fact, just as is true in the book of Esther, is true for you as our listeners. It's true for us. God is moving. He's weaving a beautiful tapestry, and it's his plan of redemption. It's his salvation. It is his work in our lives. So let's turn now to chapter 9 and continue working through this book that tells a story that is absolutely amazing. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adair, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. 
The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. You know, we looked at the New International Version, and the translation there at the end of verse 1 um, is, is helpful. It says, the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. God was at work. His name isn't mentioned, but God is the one who turned the tables, and the Jewish people were not sacrificed. They were not killed. They were not destroyed. They were not annihilated as Haman had desired. And you know, Brenda, even as you say that, God is working in the hearts of these people, but also in the hearts of the officials, the satraps, the governors, all these leaders, they're filled with fear because of Mordecai, but not because of Mordecai that he's a wicked man and that he has, it, because God has turned these tables and Mordecai now has authority. Uh, they can see this. I mean, not only just Mordecai, but Queen Esther, they, they can see that God is at work. They can see that now um, Haman is no longer in charge. And as we continue on in this text, it says this, verse 4, for Mordecai was great in the king's house. And its fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. Then the Jews struck all the enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased with those who hated them, who hated the Jews. And in Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And then it gives this list of the 10 sons of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. But they they laid no hand on the plunder. And we're going to see that again. This is really important. Mordecai is, is great. He's more powerful. His fame is spreading. And instead of him being killed by Haman, instead of him being destroyed and annihilated and all his people, Mordecai was put in the position of power by the king, second only to the king. This reminds me, I I mean, there's a number of stories like this in Scripture, especially the Old Testament. Joseph is sold into slavery, and then he's accused of a crime, and he's imprisoned as a slave. And you say, it's bad enough being a slave. Now you're imprisoned as a slave. Can any good thing? But the, the favor of the Lord was on Joseph. Same thing with Daniel. Daniel is taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and it looks like, oh, what can happen to Daniel? But Daniel as a favor of the Lord upon him. And the same thing is true with Mordecai that, you know, the Jews, they're not, they're not sitting there saying, Hey, we want to take over the whole kingdom. They're just saying, we want to defend ourselves. We're just trying to, to live. And so they're not out taking plunder. They're not taking over the kingdom. They're protecting themselves from the people who were trying to kill them these enemies of the Jews, these people who hated them. And as we read through the scriptures, we're seeing that in this case, God allowed them to defend themselves. And as they did that, God was at work. He was protecting them. Yeah. And as you're saying that, well, it's really important because, you know, I want to 
I want to stress, and and while as we've worked through this chapter to prepare today's lesson, we've had to talk back and forth because of what's going on. Yeah, here. It, it, it's a messy chapter. This yes. chapter isn't like, oh, everything ends up good. I mean, it, it's, no, people it's a, are dying. Yeah, people are dying, but people were going to be dying. I mean, a whole race was going to be wiped out, and 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 God in the midst of that is going to protect them, but to protect them, there's going to be people who die. Yeah, and the the Jews aren't gathering together just so they can kill people, but rather in defense, because remember, Haman's edict had given them the legal authority to kill all the Jews and take all of their property. You have to remember that. We've got to go go back into the earlier chapters of Esther and look at that. They were allowed to seize and take the Jewish people's property. Yeah, and, and even with that, the whole idea of they can make themselves rich as they kill others, you know, as they kill these Jews, and, and they can take all their wealth. I mean, in the midst of that, you're saying, I mean, yeah, let's let's go. Let's make ourselves rich, even if we have to kill these people. And then we remember from last week, Queen Esther and Mordecai were given permission by King Ahasuerus, write a new edict. We, I can't take away Haman's edict, but write a new one as such. Think of it as overlaying. And so the Jews are now allowed to gather together and defend themselves against these violent attacks. The next verses give us some behind-the-scenes conversation with the queen and the king. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king, and the king said to Queen Esther, in Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict and let the 10 sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the 10 sons of Haman were, were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the day of Adar, the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. So this is now the second day the Jews in Susa have been allowed to protect themselves from vicious attacks. And I, I just want to read, this is a paragraph that was written by a woman named Karen Jobes. From the beginning of time, God's war has been against sin and evil. It's easy to think wrongly of sin and evil, and we think of it as be, those being abstract. They're apart from people. So we've got sin and evil and then abstract apart from people. We seem to want God to destroy sin and evil, but leave people alone. However, sin and evil do not exist apart from beings, people who sin and do evil, whether angelic or human. So that has to be part of 
God's plan here is he's saying, I have to destroy the evil. I have to destroy the sinful. You know, Brenda, we were talking about these these sons of Haman, they've already been killed. But now, I mean, we're, Esther is saying, hey, make a public display of them. Right. I mean, let, let all the people know that, that Haman and his plans and his family and and. Everything that he had wanted to do is no longer in force. Help, help my people to understand that this is a public display that, that they're no longer in danger. And, and, you know, the, the Jews were, were intended to be killed because of Haman and his followers. They wanted the Jews dead. They wanted all their money and their wealth and all of their possessions. But the Jews, they're not killing others for money. They're just defending themselves. The the text has stated this three times. They laid no hand on their plunder. I mean, it's going out of its way to say, hey, the reason the Jews are doing this isn't to get rich. The reason is they're just trying to live and defend themselves. Well, as we continue on in the text, verse 16 says this, Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives, and they got relief from their enemies. They ended up killing 75,000 of those who hated them, but again, they laid no hands on their plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. On the 14th day, they rested and they made a great feast and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa, they gathered on the 13th and on the 14th, and they rested on the 15th. So so the ones there in Susa, they have a two-day festival. The ones that are out in the rest of the provinces, they have a one-day festival, a, a day making the feast and feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the village who live in rural towns, they hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness for feasting and holiday, and they send uh, gifts of food to one another. And even as we say, say this, Brenda, we were laughing um, – this March, we were in Israel, and, and we were there during the Feast of Purim. Literally, Purim means lots, or they cast these lots. And, and when uh, in the midst of the casting of the lots, the, the idea was, oh, it's going to be a, a long time till we kill all these Jews. But the lots allowed them the time for them to be redeemed, the time for this to be turned. And we're in Israel, and we see these people celebrating. I, I think especially we were in Jerusalem, and there's these field trips, a, a day for children, and they're dressed up in costumes. <laughs> we're laughing because one of the favorite costumes this year were, were these mouse ears and noses. And this, so the, all these kids are dressed up, and they're telling this story. When they tell the story, when they talk about Mordecai, everyone cheers, yay, and Esther, yay. And they they talk about that. But when as soon as they say Haman, everyone, oh, boo, Haman, oh. And and when we go there, this idea of this this feast and this time of celebration, it's a reminder. God was taking care of them. They were in line to be slaughtered. And especially for for the people of Israel, when they think back to World War II and the Holocaust and almost being wiped out, and then eventually in 1948 having this country that they could then claim as their own, when they're doing this and they're celebrating, I mean, their celebration is mixed with sorrow. Their celebration is mixed with this idea that we've they've... Satan has tried to destroy us a number of times. 
and he hasn't been successful back with Haman and back with the Persian people. He's not successful with Hitler and the Jews, and he's not going to be successful now. You know, the scripture says that this holiday was in, to include feasting and joy and sending a presence to one another and gifts to the poor, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. That's told in the book of Esther in chapter 9, and as we, we read this, The Jewish people now, 2,000, almost 500 years later, are celebrating the Feast of Purim. It's a continual reminder that God of Israel is able to rescue his people, to save them, to protect them from destruction, just as he did for the forefathers 2,500 years ago, just as he did for the time of Hitler in World War II, he's still able to do that thousands of years later. And it's a reminder of that there's a God who is powerful that said he has promises for the Jews and he will take care of them. Yeah, and what a great reminder of who God is. And as a part of that, um, as we come to the end of today's lesson, um, I have gone back through our our earlier lessons for this particular book, and I've pulled out some of the head-to-hearts, and I've been reflecting on them the last couple of days. And what is what is it that we're learning as we're studying this book of Esther? Because it starts out with a drunken feast and a queen removed and a beauty pageant and a new queen, you know, uh, you know, is, is brought to the throne and, uh, you know, what's happening in this story. But I think one of the biggest head to hearts that I really, um, have been meditating on and reflecting on these last few days, Walt, is the sovereignty of God. You know, God is at work in this story. The details of your life, of my life, in, they're woven in God's beautiful purpose, in His plan. It's a tapestry. It's a design. And I think of Psalm 138.8, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me, for you, for you, our friends. His steadfast love, your steadfast love, O Lord, what? It endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And I'm so thankful that God has a purpose. He has a plan. He is sovereign. He will not forsake. You are in his hand. I am in his hand. Lord, when I can't see the details and the people, the pieces of your master plan, would you remind each of us that you will fulfill your purpose, that you hear our cries, those times when we're filled with fear and doubt, remind us that you will complete the work that you started. That quote from A.W. Tozer, just love it. While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. So we even as we close in prayer, Father God, we thank you that you are still on the throne in heaven, uh, that you're not confused, that you're not asleep, that you're not um, feeble. You are still in control, that, that the things that go on around us 
are under your control and, and you are at work and you will accomplish your purposes, that you are powerful, that you are sovereign, and that we can see that behind the scenes you are weaving a beautiful tapestry. Even if we can't see all of the pieces and when they occur, that you're going to work out your plan for your glory for our good and for the, the, the joy of us seeing someday when you set all things right. But in the meantime, when things look out of control, help us, Father, to just trust you day by day, moment by moment, second by second. Help us to trust you. And Lord, even as we, we come to this point, we, we trust that you are going to work out your purposes. And so we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, until we come together again, will you and I continue to walk well with God? Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America and outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.